Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Six months ago, Pittsburgh's immigration court closed. Now people have to travel across the state to make their case in Philly's immigration court or attend their hearings virtually. I'm speaking with Laura Perkins from the busy office of the Latino advocacy group Casa San Jose to hear where things stand since the closure. It's Tuesday, November 15th. I'm Mallory Falk, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So, Laura, it's been six months since we had an immigration court here in Pittsburgh. Before we get into the nitty gritty, let's talk about what's at stake here for the people whose lives are hanging in the balance. Uh, What happens if they can't make it to court and they end up getting deported? Yeah, so family separation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We have most of our families are mixed status, which means that, you know, say you have two parents and three kids, maybe the father entered first in the United States and they have the father has his own immigration case. And then the mother entered with one child and they have one case. And then a third child entered on their own as an unaccompanied minor. And then uh, our second child and then the third child was born here and they're mm-hmm. a U.S. citizen. And so ruling on one person in a family um, and deporting them means that the family have to continue um, living and mm-hmm. not having the presence of a family member. And with technology, like it's great. We have video calls, but just like not being able to hug your parent, like mm-hmm. it really affects how a, a child grows. I mean, there's psychological studies on the effects of family separation and, you know, I'm sure I'm sure there's income studies and educational studies, but um, it it affects all aspects of life, not growing up without a parent. And so even when there was an immigration court here in Pittsburgh, it wasn't like there was a judge, you know, physically sitting at a bench in the city of Pittsburgh, right? How did the court operate? before it closed. That all the judges are in Philadelphia and the court is officially in Philadelphia. So you have like court administration, court secretaries, the judges, all of that um, is in the Philadelphia office. And the any judge assigned to Pittsburgh, um, in my time, uh, the five years I've worked in this, it's been just one judge assigned to the Southwest P or the Western PA region and West Virginia. Um, she would appear via um, televideo conference, which mm-hmm. means that you have the Pittsburgh ICE office on the south side, and there's this one room, probably about uh, like 15 feet by 30 feet, not big, mm-hmm. with a table um, in the middle with a microphone and then chairs around the edges, and then um, a big TV screen. And that's where we would see uh, the judge. And So not uh, a traditional looking courtroom. Correct. <laughs> How did you hear that that court, that space was closing? And, and what was the explanation that you got? So we had heard rumors uh, months before, but through an immigration attorney that we know that had been chatting, I forget if it was with a guard or with a, some a court personnel, and um, she told us, and you know, we started asking people, and everyone said, oh, no, 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 don't worry. We called Philadelphia Immigration Court, and we asked them, are you planning on closing the Pittsburgh office? And they said, no. Like N-O, mm. no. Um, and then a few months later, they did, um, which is just very frustrating. Yeah. And what reason were you given? Yeah, um, they told us, uh, well, so they emitted a memo. So the Executive Office of Immigration Review, EOIR, um, is the governing body of um, 
our nation's immigration courts. It's a national system. Mm-hmm. And they emitted a memo um, a couple weeks, I think, before the, the closure, announcing the closure. Um, and there was just really nothing we could do about it. The decision had been made and they said it was because of personnel issues mm. and also technological issues. And it's especially ironic because they're saying that folks that can't travel to Philadelphia can attend virtually using the exact same system that they're saying had problems initially. And it doesn't make sense. Like if they closed it because that system wasn't working, uh-huh. how is that an acceptable alternative? And so, you know, someone might say, okay, if people are using the same technology, it's the same system, then really what is the difference doing that from home versus doing it, you know, in an office space downtown? So so what is the difference? Yeah, so, so now um, it's each individual for themselves. Instead of going to a centralized place and attending court in person, um, they either have to travel to Philadelphia or they have to attend via WebEx. Um, and honestly, the, the WebEx idea isn't a bad idea, mm-hmm. but it takes away accessibility because in order to use WebEx, you need to understand technology. And we have a low rate of te- technological literacy in the community that we serve. And what I'm the community that I'm talking about um, are people that do not have immigration attorneys. Immigration attorneys that represent clients in immigration court can attend on behalf of their clients. And so the folks that we work with are the folks that don't have enough money to pay an immigration attorney. So you have Mm -hmm. low income folks and often often income corresponds with education level. A lot of them, um, they they can't speak English definitely, but they also don't have technological literacy. Um, And so what's been happening is that the judge that has the Pittsburgh docket has um, people that don't know how to turn on their mute and turn off their mute, they're using their phone because if they can afford an attorney, chances are they can't afford to have a laptop or a stable computer. Yeah. I mean, I remember this study that came out earlier this year that found that 91% of Latino residents in this region um, don't have a device that connects to the internet other than a cell phone. So I imagine that's many of your clients and you know now they're trying to navigate one of the most important consequential moments in their lives on a smartphone that sounds really challenging. Yeah, so especially for our folks in uh, West Virginia, uh, the um, connectivity issues with Wi-Fi in West Virginia are just very, it's very challenging in remote areas. And so this alternative um, saying, oh, well, you can just use this, it's actually although they don't have to travel as far, it puts their case at risk because if they can't sign in exactly at that time, they could get a deportation order. And so it's it, it's not an acceptable alternative. I mean, another alternative is that people can travel to immigration court in Philly and make their case in person, like you mentioned. But that's all the way across the state, like five, six hours away, right? There are so many different barriers that a lot of, I think, um, U.S. citizens take for granted. Um, and so, yeah, the ones that we um, work with, for example, don't have cars because mm-hmm. you need um, you need a social security number to get a driver's license in Pennsylvania. And so um, they uh, our folks would either have to risk driving without a license and getting pulled over mm-hmm. on their way to immigration court. Um, or they would have to pay someone to drive them. Um, we've uh-huh. looked at buses between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, and they're expensive, and you would have to go overnight, which means a hotel. Thank you.
Do you like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. So Casa San Jose has sort of stepped up to fill in that gap and you've what created kind of your own makeshift courtroom that people can come to? Yeah. Um, so thanks to a really wonderful partnership with the Department of Human Services um, at their one Smithfield Street location, they have allowed us to reserve a room that has stable internet connection where our community members can can get to their um, pretty much most public transportation ends up in this it's downtown of Pittsburgh. So it's easy to get to um, and they can go and we provide a Casa San Jose employee to be there the whole time. Um, and for a small nonprofit, doing the work of the Executive Office of Immigration Review, again, that is extremely inappropriate that we are providing funds. And it's it's once a week and it's all day. So that's one quarter of our community organizers work hourly is, is doing this. And that doesn't even come coordinating the service. What is a day in your office like when you are helping folks attend their hearings? Yeah, so um, the first thing we do when they come in is we make sure they have uh, the documents that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, we help them sign in. Um, But then honestly, it's a lot of waiting because the judge hears uh, folks with attorneys first. And so it's often three to four hours of waiting until Mm. uh, their name is called. And so we have to listen in case they call the name at any moment. But honestly, it's um, playing games with the kids Uh because they have to bring their kids with them, Um, talking with them about other services we have. We will often do casework while they're waiting. And often we have multiple multiple families with us at a time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and there's a morning session, afternoon session. Um, so uh, they have to get there at 830. Um, so we open, we're there at eight and then it goes until after five. And, you know, you stepping up to provide these services, what does that mean for the government who, you know, is supposed to be doing this or, or does do this in other cities? Are they in some ways disincentivized from, you know, doing this work because you all are filling in the gaps? Yeah, so we consulted our community leaders about this strategy um, because we held protests, we had a petition, we had a press conference with immigration attorneys around this with zero, zero acknowledgement and action from the Executive Office of Immigration Review. Nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we, after a few months, we talked with our community leaders and asked, well, like, if we continue to provide the service, they won't... uh, 
they'll just happily rely on our community organization. Mm -hmm. And for a long term, maybe that isn't the solution. But the community is so scared of deportations and they don't have the funds to get to Philadelphia that they said, well, okay, let's keep doing this for another few months. Uh We need to continue at least providing the service for the next few months because the short term service is just too important. Um, and it outweighs the long-term goals, unfortunately, because it's, again, it means a deportation. If there's any, any missing of immigration court, it's a deportation order. So we're now six months out from when the court was closed. What impact are you seeing? Like, is this affecting people's outcomes in court at all? Have people, in fact, been more likely to lose their cases and get deported? Or what effects are we seeing six months since the closure? We've seen another judge be assigned to some Pittsburgh cases, which we've never seen before, and we're not sure why, but this judge has been requiring things that seem impossible to me for someone without an attorney. They asked for um, an asylum application within 30 days, Mm -hmm. and when you don't have an attorney and you have to get documents from the home country, get interviews, get evaluations, translate the documents, um, get them stamped. There's no way uh, without an attorney someone could do that. And so that happened, and we're not really sure why, but we're seeing very negative results on that judge's cases. When I attend court alongside community members, I can visibly see that the judge is just frustrated. Um, It's harder to... um, Teachers that that worked remotely during the pandemic can attest to this. It's it's a very different uh, situation when folks are attending remotely than in person. Are there any stories or moments that you think, you know, really help illustrate the impact that this closure has had on people's lives here in Pittsburgh? Yeah, um, so we uh, work with a group um, in West Virginia. They're called Mountain Justice. And we've gotten closer with them because as their folks come up to Pittsburgh for not just immigration court, but also like fingerprinting with USCIS. And I got an email about someone that, I think they spoke Arabic and they lived I think 45 minutes away from the local library and we were calling the library to see if they could, we could reserve a room. Um, but the librarian didn't speak Arabic. And like we did training with the librarian on how to get language interpretation. It was just like me, the, the attorney in, um, in West Virginia, and then a social worker in West Virginia and the librarian. And the per- the person eventually made it like, and it was very close timing wise, uh, but it really takes a village mm-hmm. to do this work. Um, so that that's kind of a, a case that I think of, of how, you know, we were all biting our nails towards the end. Like, is this yeah. going to work? Is this going to work? But the person was able to attend their immigration court. Laura Perkins is the emergency response coordinator at Casa San Jose. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. A little more news before you go. Pittsburgh City Council unanimously approved an $80,000 contract with an independent firm to find the city's next police chief. The California-based company will gather public input on what residents want in their next chief. The city also launched an online survey to get more community feedback. You can fill it out at engage.pittsburghpa.gov. And a new report from the Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership shows more people are living in the Golden Triangle. Daily activity downtown isn't quite back to pre-pandemic levels, but more condos and apartments are occupied right now compared to 2020. 
Nearly 7,000 people call the city center home, and PDP says new apartments could bring thousands more residents to the area. Back in April, Mayor Ed Ganey announced a pilot conversion program that provides incentives to turn office buildings into residential spaces. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, shout it from the rooftop of your downtown apartment building. Tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you soon. That sounded kind of valley girl, didn't it? Right? (laughs)